Um, today we're going to look at First uh, Peter uh, chapter five, uh, verses six through eleven. Actually, we're going to focus our attention primarily on, on verses six and seven, and then uh, next week we'll do the rest of uh, uh, of this chapter to the end of the book, and then after that we'll just continue uh, looking at um, Peter's writings. We'll, we'll do Second Peter. And then after we're done with Second Peter, we'll do some psalms, random psalms, uh, this summer. So I've got all that figured out. I feel really good. I'm going to go on vacation. Uh, but uh, uh, today, what I want us to do, First uh, Peter 5, verses 6 through 11 is in the bulletin, but what I want to do is focus primarily this morning on, on verses uh, 6 and 7 uh, about um, uh, casting our cares and our anxieties upon the Lord. Now... Uh, and and this is the reason why we need to do this is because we are an anxious bunch. Uh, anxiety is uh, whenever when when wherever people from West End is wherever we are, there's anxiety. <laughs> so uh, which which I think is awesome. And so I know you're already sitting here this morning thinking if you read the letter that I put at the beginning of the bulletin where. Peter's word for casting our cares and anxieties on the Lord is the same word that Luke uses when he says that the disciples cast their coats on the back of the donkey for Jesus to ride in Jerusalem. I know you well enough to know that many of you are thinking, great, another sermon about anxiety. I've given up on that. I, you know, and it frankly makes me angry that you tell me not to be anxious because I can't help but I'm going to be anxious no matter what. Well, to some of you are. And you know what? I love your anxiety. Uh, in fact, I've become familiar with your anxiety. It's a good, it's, you know, it just is what it is. But I'm going to make you angrier today. <laughs> well, actually, Peter is. Because Peter's going to tell you that your anxiety is not driven by legitimate fear. Because that's the way most of us think about our anxiety is, well, of course, if you see the world the way I do, and, and which you all should, you would, you'd be anxious. And he says, actually, your anxiety is driven by pride. <laughs> so, uh, which is so awesome. <laughs> so, not only are we told to repent of our anxiety, but the means to get at our uh, anxiety is by repenting of our pride. So, this is going to be great. So, um, let me read to you First uh, Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Uh, This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So one of the things that is is so profound about this is is to think about the connection between uh, our sense of control and, and the sense that there are certain things in life that we are on top of, and that when something begins to threaten that, or when something comes against that, suddenly we become anxious, right? Um, when, when what Peter's getting at here is that the, that the person who is uh, 
sees himself accurately and sees the, the Lord accurately as someone who is going uh, uh, to not have a whole, a, a whole lot of anxiety about things. And so one of the things that I've, I've thought about this is, is what a gift it would be to be able to go through life without any anxiety. What a gift it would be to be able to go through life with a sense of the care that God has for me, the power that God has for me, and the ability to be willing to be invisible in the midst of that and allow him to do and to be who he is. Now, I, let me just say at the very outset of this that I know that for, for many of us, uh, this is this is a hard thing to think about, and so um, we we don't even we're not even sure that it's a viable uh, command or a viable thing for us to think about in the scriptures because there is so much about life that is anxiety driven. Uh, this week, uh, my mom had surgery on uh, Monday morning. Uh, she's uh, she's 85, almost 86. She's she had cancer a number of years ago. It's recurred, and she had to have surgery on Monday. And uh, Monday morning, we were up bright and early because, you know, no, uh, nobody does surgery, you know, after 4.30 in the morning anymore. And so uh, we're, up, we're up early in the morning. I'm drinking a cup of coffee, talking with my dad. My mom walks into the kitchen, and she looks at us, and she says, now, why is it I'm going to the hospital today? And um, so we told her, and we got ready. We went to the hospital, and she's in surgery. I'm sitting with my dad, and the... Uh, waiting room, and my dad says it really killed me when, when mom said um, that she couldn't remember why she was going to the hospital. And I said, well, you know, that actually is probably a mercy. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, I bet she slept better last night than either you or I did. <laughs> right? Um. And so it's gotten to me to think about that a lot because one of the things that I used to think about life was uh, that uh, the longer I lived and the older I got, I would have less to worry about. We kind of think that, don't we? The older people in the congregation are looking at me like, what were you thinking, right? Uh, uh, you know, because I, I remember when our, when our children were little, you know, and you look at a three-year-old and you have all this anxiety about a three-year-old, but trust me, the anxiety about a 23-year-old, because a three-year-old can make a mess. A 23-year-old can make a 23-year-old mess, right? So uh, as I was praying for my parents, my family, and thinking about this this weekend, just my own self, I came across this prayer uh, from a children's uh, author, a German children's author. Uh, it's the prayer of an anonymous abbess. That's a, a woman who runs uh, uh, an, an, an abbey. And um, just bear with me in this. If, this, if you're, this doesn't touch you or have anything to do with you, just ignore it. Go and read this stuff in the bulletin. Uh, but I, this struck me this week. Lord, Thou knowest better than myself that I'm growing older and will soon be old. Keep me from becoming too talkative, and especially from the unfortunate habit of thinking that I must say something on every subject and at every opportunity. <laughs> yeah. 
release me from the idea that I must straighten out other people's affairs. Wow, that's not just an old person's thing, is it? Uh, With my immense treasure of experience and wisdom, it seems a pity not to let everybody partake of it. But thou knowest, Lord, that in the end, I will need a few friends. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, Keep me from the recital of endless details. Give me wings to get to the point. Grant me the patience to listen to the complaints of others. Help me to endure them with charity, but seal my lips on my own aches and pains. They increase with the increasing years, and my inclination to recount them is also increasing. I will not ask thee for improved memory, only for a little more humility and less self-assurance when my own memory doesn't agree with that of others. Teach me the glorious lesson that occasionally I may be wrong. It's a great game to play when you go out to dinner with other couples to listen to how much they correct each other on historical details about the stories they're telling you. No, it didn't happen like that. No, no, this was going on. Marty and I love that. We, just so you know, when we go out to dinner with you. Keep me reasonably gentle. I do not have the ambition to become a saint. It is so hard to live with some of them, but a harsh old person is one of the devil's masterpieces. (laughs) Woo! Yeah, bring it. Yeah. Make me sympathetic without being sentimental, helpful, but not bossy. Let me discover merits where I had not expected them and talents in people whom I had not thought to possess any. And Lord, give me the grace to tell them so. Amen. Um, and so as we, as we read that this morning, we can laugh at that. We have a sense of, of, of how wonderful that is. But at the, same thing, at the same time as you see that and as you hear that, one of the reasons why we laugh at that and one of the things that's so therapeutic about coming to grips and admitting our sinfulness and admitting our pride is, don't you feel yourself relaxing? Don't you feel yourself Losing a sense of anxiety when you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, right? And, and, and even more so when we come at this from the standpoint that there's a God who knows me, who loves me, and who cares for me, right? So, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think we would all agree that humility, uh, certainly uh, at least a little humility, is a good thing. And we're often glad to see it in others. In fact, most of us would say that when we, see, when we come across someone who is truly a humble person, we're attracted to them. That's, that was one of the things that was remarkable about Jesus. When we, when we read descriptions about him, one of the things that's true about him is that, that Jesus was, was truly humble. He was able to live and to deal with people who were so much less than him, and yet he was kind and loving and gentle and restorative and merciful, right? And so, so as we hear about that, we think about that that's, that's exactly... Uh, uh, the, the way we think about it, we're usually glad to see it in others, but it is not something that we tend to think very much about ourselves, right? And, and, and you know, uh, C.S. Lewis, you know, said that, you know, humility is not, not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the whole problem, and that's the whole issue with, if we come at this from the standpoint of, well, I need to work on being more humble, you know, and uh, when, when in fact... Uh, that kind of belies the whole 
point, right? And so you can see how, how humility uh, and the sense of which that, that, the, that the, 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 the humble person is entrusting themselves into God's hands because they recognize that things are bigger than them and harder than them and, and more challenging than they would ever be able to deal with on their own resources actually is the pathway to getting at our anxiety. And so one of the things that I think is, is, is so helpful and, and so good for us to, to, to think about today is to, to rest in the fact that, this, that one of the things that the gospel does for us is it not only causes us to repent of sin, it not only causes us to see how big God is, but it's, it causes us to see and to know that he cares for us and that his care is available to me and I can entrust myself to that but to entrust myself to that, I must admit that I need it. I, I did a recent survey at a bookstore, went through the bookstore, went to the self-help section. And there's lots of books on how to be assertive. Lots. Lots of books on how to get what you want. Lots of books on how to uh, uh, do sorts of things like that. I didn't see a single book on how to be humble. Isn't that interesting? So it seems like it's this thing that we all recognize is good and nobody wants it. <laughs> right? We think it's a good thing in other people, uh, but honestly, for me or for my children, I'm not that interested in it. I, yeah, okay. So maybe that's why we're so anxious. That seems to be the logic that Peter has here. So one of the things that we have to note about this is at the end of this, this letter, Peter is profoundly interested in humility, right? Now, this is to a group of people who are experiencing persecution, a group of people who are experiencing suffering, people whose friends and neighbors are probably looking at them with suspicion and, and, and are not kind to them at all. And so what he says in verse 5 is, you who are younger, be subject, right? To be subject, obviously, a part of that, you have to humble yourself to be subject to your elders. Also, verse 5 says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, right? And then uh, the next, uh, verse 6 says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So this is something that he repeats a number of times. This is something that, that he gets at and that is a theme that he wants us to, to, to spend some time on. And the reason for that is, is that God opposes the proud. Now, when you hear that, you think, oh, that is a, that's a terrible thing. But actually, it is the mercy of God to the prideful that he opposes them. Because God's opposition to the prideful is the means whereby they, they, they can repent, where they can come to grips with the fact. Psalm 32 says, your hand was heavy against me. My, my bones were, were aching. My, my tongue was sticking to the roof of my mouth because your hand was heavy against me and then I acknowledge my sin to you, right? So, so the... So the, the fact of the matter is the opposition of God here is not something that, that, that is it's tough and it's, it, it may be painful, but it, ironically, God's humbling of us, his opposition to us in our pride actually is a means of mercy. Secondly, we read that God gives grace to the humble. Listen, listen, if, if the reason why God gives grace to the humble is because the humble need it. Grace runs downhill, right? Grace, grace gets to the people at the bottom of the heap because they know that they need it. 
those of us who would prefer never to be at the bottom of the heap, those of us who would prefer never to be in a situation to need the grace of God, uh, but only a little bit to help us get along, this is hard for us, right? God gives grace to the humble. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, if you got a little bucket or a big bucket, and the bigger your bucket is, is, is uh, predicated upon the how, what sense you need of the grace and the power and the work of God in your life. We read in due time that God will exalt the humble. We read that at the end of time, uh, there are going to be people who are going to be on the right side of history and people who are going to be on the wrong side of history. The people on the right side of history are called the sheep. And the people who are on the wrong side of history are called the goats. You don't want to be a goat. You want to be a sheep. And when they gather there, Jesus looks at them and says, you know what? When I was sick, you cared for me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When, when I was hungry, you fed me, right? And so, so, and they're like, what? When did we ever see you like that? When did we ever do that? And he said, when you did it to the least of these. And, and, and he exalts those who identified themselves with the poor and the broken and the needy uh, in the world. And then he says, cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. The humble person is able to cast their anxieties upon the Lord because they don't have any other place to go. And the Lord's care is rich and good and free. Jesus Christ applies the gospel, applies his atoning work, applies the, the grace and the mercy that he died to give us to people who need it, right? And, and who see that, uh, that they need it. The, the, for, for many of us, we would prefer to be in a position where, we don't, where, where we're glad that there's this bank account of the Lord's grace and care over here, but we hope we're never in a position to have to draw on that. Peter knew this very well. Um, uh, as we said at the very beginning of the series back in August, uh, Peter bragged to the Lord that he would die before he would let the Lord be taken. And the Lord told him that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And we read that he denied him the third time with cursing, and the rooster crowed, and Jesus looked at him. So every morning, for the rest of his life, he was reminded of his failure when he heard the rooster crow, and equally reminded of the restoring, loving care of his Savior who cared for him, who warned him, who loved him, and restored him. So one of the things that we have to see about that is, is that when, when Peter's writing this, he's writing this from the, 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 uh, the, the sense and the place where uh, uh, this is where he lived. This, is, this was something that was true of him every day. He takes this thought to, about casting our cares from Psalm 55, 22, where he says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. One of the things that you have to see about that is, is that this command to cast our cares upon the Lord, this, this word there, this description here in the Psalms is in the context of, of people persecuting, of people criticizing, of, of friends turning their back upon you. Remember, when, when Peter's in the garden and they come to arrest Jesus, what does he do? He whips his sword out. And he cuts that guy's ear off. He cuts that guy. Now, he wasn't trying to make him an artist, you know. He wasn't trying to make him Van Gogh. I mean, he cut his ear off. What was he doing? He was swinging at his head. 
You know, he wasn't like, I'm going to teach you a lesson, I'm just going to cut your ear off. No, he was, he was going for the full noggin here, right? Right? He's threatened. He feels persecution. What does he do? I'm going to defend myself. But what we see here is, what we recognize here is that, that, that we cast our cares upon the Lord, that we entrust ourselves in this situation on him, knowing that he'll care for us, that he will sustain us. So all of this is in the context of betrayal and persecution. You know when you find out somebody's been talking about you or your kids or your spouse, and you know when, when, when these things happen that you're quick to defend. You're quick to get angry. Uh, and when we do that, you know, then, then it's almost as if God will say to us, okay, that, let that be your defense. Rather than the hope and the trust that you have in me, that I will sustain you, that I will protect you, and that in the end I will exalt you. Right? So how do we know that we're prideful, and how do we know that this pride is driving our anxiety? Well, just a couple of questions that you could ask yourself. Uh, Are you self-satisfied? You know, do you ever find yourself doing things, and you're like, you know, I've, I've, I'm really good at this. I've done really well, and uh, uh, I'm just, especially when it's something that was a gift to you in the first place. Larry Crabb tells the story of preaching at his brother-in-law's funeral, and in the middle of the sermon while he's preaching, he thinks, I'm doing a good job. I'm doing a really good job. Well, he probably was. He's great. But he was doing a good job because... The Lord was speaking through him, right? Self-reliant. Are there any areas of my life where God's not necessary? So think about things in your life that matter to you, that are important to you, that you never pray about. And the fact that you don't pray about it indicates to me, the fact that I don't pray about certain things is an indicator to me that, well, I must feel like I've got this pretty well under control. I don't really need God in this particular area of my life. Um, Next, insubordinate. This is my favorite one uh, because I know better than those in authority over me. Now, that doesn't mean that that leaders aren't to be held accountable, but you know the kind of smarmy talk about the boss. You know the kind of the, the talk about the people that are in authority, that if you were running things, how much better they would be. Uh, and, uh, and so rather than uh, entrusting ourselves to the care of God and the plan of God and the way in which he has uh, placed us in positions, we're quick to say, I know better. Critical. What and... Whatever you want to put, whatever you want to put in there on that one. That one's that one's a good one, right? So uh, what a what a moron, what an idiot, uh, you know those sorts of things. I I know so much better and can see so much more clearly than they could. Uh, and then controlling anxiety, where we say, yes, I believe the gospel. Yes, I the cross covers me. Yes, God is all powerful. Yes, God is merciful. But what if? I was, I was mistaken, I was out in my car yesterday trying to listen to the, uh, to the Masters while I was out in the car, so I'm listening to sports radio, and I have to say, sports radio on Saturday afternoons, uh, uh, 
is, uh, I'm sure I lost some brain cells listening to that yesterday. I'm like, it's a wonder I can stand up in front of you today and, and piece any thoughts together at all. But they were talking about anxiety. And one of the guys said, you know, there's a site. Now, this, think about this. Those of you who actually think, listen to this, you'll laugh at this. But it gets even funnier. He says, there's a scientific study, you can Google it, that says uh, about anxiety that says 85% of the things that you worry about never happen. <laughs> now think about that. Think about the science behind that. How do you come at that? And so I'm listening to that, and I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's really interesting, but that doesn't encourage me. What about the 15%? <laughs> There's 15% out there that actually does happen. What are we going to do about that? <laughs> right? So, yes, but what if? So, uh, so what, I want you to, <laughs> what I want you to see about that is, is that in many ways the opposite of humility is not just pride but anxiety, right? Because, because my anxiety it, it is, it dramatically increases if I'm confronted with things that I think, you know what, I should be able to control this. I need to control this, and it's out of my control, and I can't get my brain around this. I can't make this happen. I have to trust someone else. I have to trust Jesus with this. And even the fact that I have to trust him makes me even more anxious and makes me anxious because I'm anxious, because I'm not trusting, because I know I'm supposed to trust him. Um, interesting. So prideful people also are often alone, while humble people often have lots of support. You ever notice that? Um, one, of, one of the things that I, I think is, makes sense about that is uh, uh, maybe some of you today are worried about your kids, and you worry that they don't have enough friends, and you worry that their relationships seem to, to struggle. Well, maybe the reason for that is because You've made them, you've put them on the treadmill to excellence, and they're working so hard to be excellent and not needy that they don't have any friends because they don't, they, they can't, they can't project themselves as somebody who might need somebody else. In our denomination, we we've studied this. Isn't it funny the things you study, and uh, concluded that. Um, um, actually, the, the, the people who are most fruitful in ministry are not the stars and the most gifted, uh, but people who have a sense of the favor of God and understand their limitations. And so they're willing to ask in weakness and humility for help. Um, so the call to believe the gospel is the opening round of humility in the life of the believer. So when you watch people, uh, uh, we, we do this every month, and, and it's one of the things that we do here that I think is so powerful, and yet it's one of these things that we do it so often we forget, that people are willing to stand in front of you and in front of six, 700 people on a Sunday morning and say that they acknowledge themselves to be sinners in the sight of God justly deserving his displeasure, without hope, except by his sovereign mercy. 
What a humiliating thing to do. What a humbling thing to do. Now, maybe you think, oh, we don't really believe that. They're not that bad. <laughs> They're worse. You can't read their minds. You can't read what they really think. So, so, so the fact of the matter is that is the pathway into, into the gospel. So when, when, I, when I acknowledge myself as a sinner, when I acknowledge myself as weak and broken and, and needy, that is the pathway whereby the grace of God enters into my life. Now, what we tend to do with that is, is we're like, yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner, but not that much. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm broken, but not that much. I just need a little bit, Lord. I just need a little bit of this. I don't want to go to the bottom place because, it, you know what, you might not catch me. I don't want to face all these things about me because maybe you're not there. But when in fact, what we read here is that, that it is our pride that drives that anxiety. And, and, and we're set free when we say, you know what? I'm a sinner and I need a big Savior. And you are that. When we were with the doctor before my mom's surgery, and um, he's asking her questions. And he asked, he asked her the question. He's like, Miss Shelby, do you have dementia? And she didn't hesitate. She goes, yeah, I, th I think I probably do. I do. And I was like, wow. You know, there's real freedom in that. Now, she'll probably forget tomorrow that she has dementia until <laughs> she remembers, right? But do you see how, how freeing that is? If I've got to think, you know what? I might have dementia, but I can't let anybody know it. Can you see how anxiety-driven that is? Can you see how that might spill over into other areas of your life? I'm needy, but I can't admit it. Uh, I, I don't know if God's really, really, really trustworthy in this. And what, that's what he gets at here by saying, listen, he cares for the weak and the broken and the needy, and he provides, right? So, so the, we get... Uh, the grace of God at the beginning of the Christian life by recognizing our neediness and our brokenness. We get it by seeing the power of the cross. We get it by seeing the atoning work of Jesus. We get it by seeing that he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And, and we get it by recognizing that it goes so much deeper even than we're able to, to, to go ourselves. And, and the sense that we have of that sets us free, Right? And, 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 and delivers us more and more and more from the need to be in control. He is the one that I can entrust myself to because he's the one who died. He's the one who rose again. He's the one to whom I belong. Now, let me just say, um, there are many of us here today uh, who struggle with anxiety because some pretty awful things have happened to us. There are some of us here today who uh, have been in places and experienced things that literally were terrifying, things that were terrible, deaths of people we love, scares, terrible, terrible things. And so as we please understand that as Peter says this to us, to cast our anxieties on him. This is not something that you're going to do with the flip of a switch. The way this is going to work in your life is the Lord is faithful to bring to completion in you the work that he has begun. 
And as you come to grips with things, your anxiety, and you come to grips with the fact that you can connect that anxiety to some place in your life where you think you are the one that's in charge or that you're the one that's in control, he is providing you with an opportunity to trust him. He's providing you with an opportunity to see that he cares for you. He's providing you with an opportunity to see that he is for you in this. And this is a progressive, slow, painful, difficult process. But listen to me. Stay in the process. Stay in the process. Stay in it. Recognize your anxiety. Throw it at him. And, 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 and expect this to be something that you'll deal with for a long time. But it's okay because the Lord's faithful and he cares for you. Uh, this, is, this is a great, it's a great thing for us, uh, uh, a great place for us to repent of our anxiety uh, uh, by repenting of our pride and seeing how that keeps us from trusting him. Let me pray. Lord, uh, I pray today for uh, folks who uh, are just undone and overwhelmed by this. And I pray that you would give them grace. I pray that you would remind them of your care for them. I pray that you would remind them that you see their pride, that you see their anxiety. Uh, and that's precisely why you came. It's precisely why you died and precisely because why you promised to them uh, to care provide, to look out for, and to sustain. Lord, I pray for those of us today who um, our pride won't allow us to believe that, that you would give grace. I pray too, Lord, as we're about to sing in a few minutes about you being our shepherd and you giving us rest. I pray for those of us who sit and see you preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies, that that would be a place where we uh, would trust you, pray that you would give grace, pray that you would give mercy, and I pray, Lord, that you would be gentle in your kindness to those of us who are prideful, to those of us who are anxious, to those of us who are often unbelieving. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.